This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, John Carlson returns with a fresh Vancouver market real estate update and lots more on the 1% Realty story. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Alberta is easing mandatory production cuts as the price of oil increases, but the industry says the tactic won't solve the underlying problem, a lack of adequate pipeline capacity. Premier Notley said Wednesday the temporary cuts are working but she agrees more pipelines are the answer and until that happens more oil will be shipped by rail notley thanked companies for working with the government to protect jobs in the economy last month the province of alberta ordered production of raw crude oil and bitumen to be reduced by 325 barrels per day almost nine percent of reduction now with a slight relief from that number a major new study provides the strongest evidence yet that vaping can help smoke Smokers quit cigarettes, with e-cigarettes proving nearly twice as effective as nicotine gums and patches. The British research, published this week in the New England Journal of Medicine, could influence what doctors tell their patients and could also shape the debate in America, where the Food and Drug Administration has come under pressure to more tightly regulate vaping due to a surge in teenage consumption. We know that patients are asking about e-cigarettes, and many doctors haven't been sure what to say, says a tobacco treatment specialist at the Harvard Medical School who was not involved in the study and goes on to say, I think they now have more evidence to endorse e-cigarettes. Smoking is the number one cause of preventable death worldwide, blamed for nearly 6 million deaths a year. Quitting is notoriously difficult. Even with decades-old nicotine aids and newer prescription drugs, more than 55 percent of U.S. smokers try to quit each year, and only about 7 percent succeed. Electronic cigarettes have been available in the state since about 07 and have grown into a $6.5 billion a year industry. They're battery-powered devices, typically heating a flavored nicotine solution into an inhalable vapor. The American Heart Association backed e-cigarettes in 2014 as a last resort to help smokers quit after trying counseling and approved products. The American Cancer Society took a similar position last year. No reaction yet here from Health Canada to this brand new study. Have you ever opened a large box of chocolates and were disappointed by the small pieces of sweets inside? Well, you're not alone. Candy makers Giardelli and Russell Stober were slapped with a $750,000 fine last week after they were sued in California for allegedly misleading customers by selling chocolate products in oversized containers that were, according to the courts, predominantly empty. The civil complaint, which was filed by California prosecutors, alleged the two companies who fall under common ownership of Swiss chocolate maker Lint and Sprungli packaged certain chocolate products in oversized packaging to deceive consumers into thinking they were purchasing more chocolate than they were actually receiving. Additionally, the lawsuit alleged that Ghiardelli was selling one chocolate product containing less cocoa than advertised. Now, without admitting any wrongdoing... 
Both firms agreed to pay 750000 bucks in fines and improve their packaging practices. Some packages are now expected to shrink or at least have a transparent window so customers can look inside. Consumers have the right to expect full value in their purchases and compliance with packaging requirements is an integral part of that process, said the people who made the companies pay three quarters of a million bucks. And the dangerous deep freeze that has settled across much of Canada and the U.S. Midwest is not letting up another day of extreme weather warnings and wind chills that have dipped to minus 50 Celsius and lower in areas like Chicago and Montreal. Despite our early blossoms and relatively mild conditions here in the lower mainland, the West Coast likely won't be spared from the cold much longer. For the first time this winter, the Arctic front is on our way, heading to the South Coast, and that will bring much colder weather with the transition occurring tomorrow as showers flip over to flurries and a blustery cold wind. It won't look too bad as the sun will come out early next week with clear skies. And, well, temps dropping to minus 10, the coldest temperatures of the season. Chance of snow returning next Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, too. In the meantime, our relatively moderate temperatures in B.C. and on the East Coast are a stark contrast to the frigid conditions in central Canada. Have you seen pictures of Winnipeg this week? And according to experts, these coexisting extremes have have been predicted for some time, and they're likely here to stay for a while. Those are some more of this week's top consumer stories. We'll check out a few more even later in the hour. But coming right up is John Carlson, back again this week with more real estate news and lots more on the 1% Realty Story. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, and it's a pleasure to welcome back John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation, the guy from 1% Realty. Hi, John. Good afternoon, Sterling. Great to be here. It's nice to have you back with us two weeks in a row after uh, being uh, taking a long Christmas holiday break. And one thing that we didn't get to on our show, your return last Saturday, was some of the uh, bolder predictions that have been made by observers of the real estate game in and around Metro Vancouver. Most of them, John, having to do with prices. Try this one on for size. For your comment, please. Uh, one bold prediction saying that housing prices in Vancouver Metro Vancouver will continue to correct, and I, I assume that means diminish on a slow scale for the first half of 2019. But by the summer, those sliding scale corrections should be over. Prices will level off and start to come back by the fall. Any comment on that at all? It's pretty. I know you're not a crystal ball gazer, right. but you're a veteran of this real estate scene. What do you right. think? Well, uh, you know, again, I'm not in the business of predictions, but I think uh, clients often ask me these kind of questions because they want to know, you know, what kind of uh, market we might be in so they can make good decisions. Sure. And I've read predictions uh, all the way from, you know, we're going to boom again to we're going to crash in the bubble. So there's all kinds of predictions right. out there. But uh, I think it depends on a number of things. Um, first of all, it probably depends on what segment of the market you are in. Okay. Uh, there are affordable segments, and then there are higher-end segments where, you know, the, the markets are a little bit different. And uh, my feeling is that the recipe going into the market has changed. There were a lot of ingredients that went into that market that pushed it up, 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 and all the hysteria and the prices went crazy. Mm-hmm. And now, as we've discussed before, financing rule changes and signals from governments and all these other things, taxes, et cetera, have just changed that recipe. And that's been 
achieving the desired result. If you look at prices in Greater Vancouver, the number of sales have dropped, meaning, hey, you know, buyers are kind of stepping back thinking, is it the right time for me to buy? Maybe not. So we saw the volume come down in various markets between 20, 30 and 40 percent last year compared to the boom market before. Of course, yeah. So when I think about what's going to happen uh, in the market, I, I try to take these things into account. Let's call it your sort of active family segment, more affordable segments. Okay. Right now, I'm finding that uh, when the these gen- would be townhouses, um, sure, but detached homes, but in areas not too close to downtown. Affordability is being the key to this one, right? That's right. It might be houses in Coquitlam in the million dollar range, a little over, a little under. It might be townhouses in Maple Ridge or you know affordable properties in the Vancouver areas. Uh, these sorts of things. There's okay. still a lot of buyers for those. It's not like people have said, "Heck, Van- Greater Vancouver real estate's out of style. I'm not buying it." Mm-hmm. Nothing further from the truth. Sure. I think a lot of people have uh, made mistakes at underestimating the desire, uh, the, the, the desirability of real estate in Greater Vancouver. But I think that as this year plays out, for one thing, I'm waiting to see the new stats when they come out for January. They haven't come out yet. But I think there's going to be a pleasant little uh, bump in terms of activity because I've seen some real positive signs that buyers are jumping back into the market to a degree. And you've had a busy January yourself, haven't you? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, it's been busy. So, I think that's wonderful, but let's temper that against uh, the feeling that the market has changed and that prices reached these these levels that were really not very sustainable. I think the trend is going to be throughout most of the markets for these these adjustments to continue. Okay. Now, whether or not it bounces back in the summer, I really can't say, but I think this is what it depends on. Right now in the market, although there is some, uh, there's inventory sitting on the market, a lot of it's kind of picked over. The stuff that didn't sell in October, November, December, mm-hmm. maybe the prices hadn't changed much and they're still there. And as a buyer in some of these segments that are more active, they'll look and they'll say, hey, I see uh, 10 or 12 listings, but only two or three of them are, are really that great and maybe reflect today's market value. So they're a little bit picked over, if you don't mind me saying. Okay. And I'm finding these good listings are selling. The, the, the better ones that are the most attractive cream of the crop are selling. This time of year, we're going to expect the next one, two, and three months, the majority, this is the big listing time, you know, March, April, May, February to a degree In advance of the busy spring anticipated, right? Exactly. Okay. So my feeling is this. The inventory is going to build up in the market in some of these segments. And if the buyers jump back into the market and start snatching it all up, that's going to help prices level off or maybe even go up eventually. But if we run into a situation where the inventory starts building up and stacking up on itself and buyers are still stepping back and those ratios favor buyers much more than sellers, we're probably going to see the price correction continue. Oh, okay. All right. So a, a lot of it just depends on available inventory. And uh, I, as I'm learning through this conversation, I learn a lot from you. Uh, I was under the impression, mistakenly, as it turns out, that there was just a ton of inventory available in the marketplace right now. And that's not necessarily the case at all. Well, it, it can be true. Uh, if you start looking at some of the higher end properties or properties where um, you know the prices hadn't been adjusted from the all-time peak, those properties sat maybe and sat and sat and then maybe they've canceled and they're relisting in the spring mm-hmm. which is not a bad idea um, so there is there is inventory out there but it is a little bit picked over and the the fresh new inventory that hits the market in the spring there weren't a lot of people hitting the market brand new in say december or early january so if you're a buyer out there now you're probably looking at a bunch of listings and saying, okay, this one's been on 60 days, this one's been on 90 days, this one's been on 45 days. Right. Whereas if you're looking in March, April, May, and June, you're probably looking at a lot of, oh, this one's been on seven days, two days, 10 days, 25 days. So we've just gone through a period of time that is probably the weakest in terms of brand new, fresh listings hitting the market. We're going to see some of those listings that didn't sell last year probably cancel or expire or terminate and hit the market again in this spring or in the next coming months. Maybe the pricing will be a little bit different. But 
regardless, the number of listings will increase and will grow in the next few months. And it really depends on what the buyers decide to do in terms of what the market's going to do. Okay. Now, you're the KG veteran realtor here, and uh, you've, you've provoked this question because you talk about being on market and having a long-term listing, talking about, for example, properties that didn't sell before right. Christmas in October, November. Suppose now... I own one of those properties. I've had the darn thing listed since Thanksgiving, for crying out loud, and it still hasn't sold, John, and it's February, for crying out loud. So what do I do? How do you, re- how do you take an old, stale listing? Do you cancel it and reissue, relist the house? What's the strategy behind that? That's a great question and a timely question. Um, first of all, I want to be careful to say I'm not uh, advising anyone who's under contract with another agent. I mean, listen to your own agent when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, if you had a listing on the market for uh, October, November, December, and it didn't sell, first yeah. thing is, don't be too hard on yourself. There were a number of good listings that just didn't sell because the market was really, uh, statistically, you know, weaker than it's been in the past. So there are good listings. It doesn't necessarily mean that your house is no good or that... Because um, you, you start know. to get down on yourself a little bit. Everybody keeps driving by. and I've even had an, I haven't even had an, a looky-loo come by for a quick tour for a couple of weeks. What's going on? Well, if you're not getting any looks, then you, you want to look at your whole strategy. I mean, your whole listing. But uh, to answer your question, maybe you've been on the market a while and you got some bites, but nothing really quite happened. Yeah. All of us agents that are busy have had listings like that because the overall market at the end of the year really took a turn down and sagged a bit. So I would suggest, I, this is just my thought, if you've been on the market a little while and you want to do a bit of a price adjustment, maybe rather than just reducing the price, you might want to cancel that listing and reissue it as a brand new listing. And the reason for that is uh, new listings get noticed and people are uh, signing up for their uh, virtual office website notifications. So if a listing of a certain type and a certain price hits the market, boom, email goes to you. Of so, course, right. I think it, even if you had been on the market previously, it doesn't hurt to maybe uh, look at the pricing, look at uh, how you're marketing, uh, look at your descriptions, your you know everything you can and see how appealing is this listing to the average buyer. And then if you want to change some things, sure, it doesn't hurt to put a new listing on the market uh, and uh, because it's a brand new year. Okay, so would, uh, you, would a new listing automatically necessitate some kind of price adjustment? You wouldn't want to relist a house under basically the same conditions and terms that it sat on the market for X number of months un- unnoticed, would you? Well, you might if, you're, if your motivation hasn't changed. Okay. I mean, it depends on, on really what your motivation level is. I see it all the time, not, not my listings, but other listings as well, where I'll see a listing on the market and suddenly it gets relisted again. And maybe there's a significant price amendment, or maybe it's the same price again. And they're just counting on, hey, you know, now it's February and March, there's probably going to be more buyers. And the other thing right now in certain segments, if you don't have a lot of really good direct competition, you probably could put the house on the market again at the same price and maybe do well. For instance, I'm working right now with a couple buyers, different buyers and slightly different price ranges in, say, the Maple Ridge, Langley, uh, Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam townhouse market. Okay. And when you want to look at a good townhouse, say, in the $500,000 range or five fifty, uh, or, or six or four fifty, depending on the markets... There are some that have been on the market a while, but the new ones that are listing well and are offering, you know, clearly better value than some of these ones that didn't sell, they are selling. And it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes to find just 
the right place. So, and these again are pretty f- young, family-friendly environments, and they're the most desirable category in many cases, right? That's right. I think uh, you know there are two kind of buyers, generally speaking. There's the uh, there's the discretionary buyer where hey, you know maybe maybe I'll buy now, maybe I won't. It might be an investment property. I can take my time. And then there's kind of the comparison shoppers, and they might be the young buyers, the newlyweds, the with kids, the first-time buyers. Interest rates did not go up. They went to their bank. They did a little bit of math, and they said, hey. I can afford a $500,000 condo or townhouse. Mm-hmm. They go out and they just pick the best one they can find within a reasonable period of time. And, and, and that's what they do. So those people are out and the inventory in those kind of segments tends to be a little bit picked over. So I'm, I'm kind of happy with those, those segments. If you're a multi-million dollar property, um, you know, five, $10 million, that, that might be a different story entirely. And that's where we've seen a lot of the corrections. I mean, and we've almost uh, joked about this uh, towards the end of last year a couple of times, noting a property, for example, in West Vancouver that was listed at 23 point something or other, now relisted at only 18 point something million dollars. Right. Well, for most mere mortals, that's just, that's fantasy. <laughs> One number is no different from the other, but it's still a four or five million dollar correction. Is that where most of the the downing the, the the diminishment of prices is coming, John? In those very expensive detached homes. Well, first thing I'll say is that's not my forte. I generally work with the average type buyers and sellers, homeowners. I don't work in multi-million dollar properties that often. Of course I have, and I do, but um, I think that those segments have been hit the hardest. I think so too. Yeah. But but overall, the entire market, like I said, this is a different recipe. People aren't just opening up their wallets and dumping everything they have on a table because they lost four or five multiple offer situations in a row and now they're desperate. Right. That's what we were at before. People were losing their minds right. and, and quite rightly so. Now the shoe's on the other foot a little bit and a buyer can say, hey, well, wait a minute. If this isn't the perfect property for me, if this doesn't really make me happy, I might as well wait and see what comes along in the next 30, 60 days. So again, different kind of market. Buyers don't have that urgency. They're prepared to wait. They're prepared to negotiate if they have to. And I think that's fair. And all of that's bringing prices down, making them a little bit more reasonable. Having said that, in my humble opinion, people waiting for a crash and for you know, everything to com- bubble to completely burst, those days aren't coming. Real estate in greater Vancouver is just way too desirable. There's way too many people looking to, to get in it. And maybe they sat on the sidelines, but I'm starting to see evidence that some of them are jumping back in. Right. Now, if that is the case, and I believe it to be as well as, as you state it, then uh, if buyers are indeed taking their time, uh, having the luxury of taking time, not having to make a life-changing multi-million dollar decision in 15 minutes or less, if all of that time is now available to buyers, the onus is then going to be on sellers to be more competitive in the way they present their properties to those buyers who are now having the luxury of being more discriminating. So we're going to take a break for the news. And when we come back, we're going to have a good long discussion with our veteran John Carlson from 1% Realty on staging the house, presenting the best possible case for your house to Vancouver buyers. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation, the guy from Johnny1percent.com, and of course, 1% Realty. And John, just before the news, you were talking about today's home buyer, right. uh, a, a much more, I think, uh, organized sort of person. A year ago, the ho- two years ago even, the home buyer in Vancouver was a very harried individual, compelled under 
really strange circumstances to make a life-altering, sometimes multi-million dollar decision in sometimes 15 minutes or less. Subjects, house inspections, forget about it. What's, what's your bid? Give us your offer now. Yes. Those days are gone. So now with the buyer having the luxury of time and the luxury of being able to look around at uh, an increased amount of inventory available, uh, it's. I would think the ball would be in the seller's court, John, to be on the ball in terms of making the best possible case for your property to prospective buyers. And this is where the seasoned pro from 1% comes in. John, a couple of dozen years in the real estate industry in Metro Vancouver, you've seen it all. So let's talk about presenting the best case for your property. Absolutely. You make you make really good points. And uh, when things get more competitive, you want to step up your game. There's no doubt about it. You always want to show well if you're selling a property, but you nailed it. The buyers have more choice. They're a little bit more selective. They have more time and they're willing to be more patient right now. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm a relatively straightforward, simple thinker being a guy, I suppose, but uh, I liken it to being at a dance. If you and I are at a dance, Sterling, there's only two girls there. Well, we might have a nice night doing some dancing. But if there's about 50 other guys there, uh, you know, it might be hard to get picked. We'd probably put our good shirt on and comb our hair and probably shave and and look our best. So similar kind of situation in the real estate market. Mm -hmm. You do have competition. Every potential buyer may have their own idea as to what they're looking for. So, but, but as a seller, you don't have to sell to everybody. Sure. You just have to understand what you bring to the table, uh, what your strengths are. You lead with your strengths and then you got to try to think, Hey, you know, what is the, what is the highest price a buyer who really appreciates everything my property offers on the market? What's the highest price they're likely to pay before they go, well, you know, maybe I'll wait or... Yeah, because there's a house two blocks away that's really similar to this. It's 25 grand less. Sure. Something like that. Or there's one the same price, but it's 600 square feet bigger on a better street right. or something. Right. So the more competition you have, the more you probably want to be uh, prepared. And that means looking what what price trends are doing in your area, looking at how to present and maybe get your house ready for the market. Maybe right. you don't want to hit the market today. I've sat with people saying, hey, let's list the property today. And I kind of say, well, wait a minute. Maybe we should look after a couple of deficiencies first. Sure. Because then when people come in, they'll have the right frame of mind. They'll see it. So it doesn't hurt to get your house ready and do your homework and then, of course, everything is always measured against the motivation of the seller. Can we talk a little bit about, in terms of having uh, the house ready? Sure. One of the things that is very popular is something called staging, which is where you, sometimes you bring in professional people who do this for you. And again, they sort of redecorate parts of the house to make it look even more attractive to potential buyers. A lot of people are kind of, well, a little iffy on this staging business, John, because they figure it costs too much. And uh, what's the point anyway? They're, they're either, they're all they're going to do is come in and strip the house down to everything, repaint and refloor. So why bother? Right. And well, you want to make a good impression and you want to be picked. That's, that's why bother. So I tend to categorize things into two different uh, categories. One would be a deficiency. So if you have mold in your house or a bad smell, or there's a big hole dug in the front yard for a, you know, these sorts of things are going to give a bad impression. That's a deficiency. And you definitely want to handle those before you bring people on the market. The whole curb appeal thing, right? Just pull up in front of the house and even some people don't even get out of the car. No, I don't think I want to live here. Exactly. And so it's got to be inviting. Just by pulling up in front of the house. Yes. So you, there's certain things you always want to look after. And, you know, I, I consult with my clients on that. And then more towards the middle of the spectrum, there are things that are relatively easy and cheap to do. Mm-hmm. You want to declutter, especially if you're in a newer condo, let's say, because 
90% of what you're looking at a condo is inside the four walls and you're pro- you're probably competing against a lot of new products. Sure. So it's going to be very key to have your house looking more like a showroom. And if you have a larger condo, which is not the way they're building them anymore, all the more reason to make it look sure. spacious, right? Exactly. Bright, clean, new, fresh. You want all these sorts of things in any property. Sure. So then there's these things that usually make sense. Maybe a touch-up paint, maybe do these sort of things. But the next category that I try to, solving a problem that might not exist, I, I, I try to caution people against that. Hey, should I put a brand new kitchen in my house? Well, if the rest of the house hasn't been renovated, I'm not sure that's really a good idea. Maybe you should just clean it up, polish what you have, and price it appropriately. Right, right. Because why put a dollar into a sale if you're not going to get at least a dollar or more back. Right. So these are things I do consult, but you do, it's quite easy to stage a home, uh, put your, you know, jokingly, I'll say to people, put your toothpaste away, fold your towels and all these sorts of things, but also just clean, shine, make sure all your light bulbs are good. All your door handles are solid. Uh, you're so clean. you don't need to hire uh, expensive professionals uh, if you don't want to. You just clean the place up. Well, not necessarily, but yeah, depending on the segment you're in, sometimes it does make sense to hire some professionals. And I would have think it shown. so if you're looking for a good return. Sure, absolutely. But a lot of times people are living in their house and mm. they just need some good advice in terms of how to polish that apple, if you will, so it is nice and shiny and you're, you're, you're maximizing everything you have there. And that's one of the services I provide. Okay, let's uh, talk to uh, one of uh, John's clients here. This is a fellow named Rick who uh, is in Coquitlam who's been working with John uh, recently and has a few uh, thoughts about our Mr. Carlson to share with you today. Like I said, I've I've done a fair number of real estate transactions over the years, probably averaging one a year for the last 12 years, and John's service was top-notch. His his follow-through and doing what he says was was bang on. Every time he told me he would call, he called. Every time he told me he'd give me an update, he gave me an update. I'm fairly, I would suggest, high-maintenance client, given my need for information on the transaction. And John was always uh, bang on with with the information. Lines of communication were easy and open. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was, again, regardless of, of commission structure, he's a good realtor. All right, there you go. What uh, what uh, sort of property did Rick have that you were able to move, John? Well, thanks, Rick. Um, Rick and his brother, of course. This is a uh, condo in in Coquitlam. Okay, very near Coquitlam Center area, a nice popular area. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was now just- that SkyTrain's there. What a, what a great spot. Sure. Yeah, yeah very popular area. And, uh, you know, it was just great to be chosen to work with Rick. Rick did tell me that he'd been a real estate investor. He knew the game. He knows it. And, uh, you know, I did my best uh, for Rick and his brother. And to hear that that he thought I was one of the better agents he'd worked with was was pretty good. Now, of course, commission, there's always a savings there. And that's one thing that we, we tend to talk about. Uh, but the way I, I look at my service, I don't really think about the commissions. I just look at doing the best job I can, putting all my experience to work for a client and keeping in touch with that client in a way that they feel they're being looked after. And I look after my client's interest, and in the process, that's what I offer. They save money because I'm 1% realty, and there's lots of savings to be had there as well. So to hear Rick being happy about all that stuff, it's exactly what I want to hear. I'd love to repeat that process with some of the other listeners out there. Absolutely. Johnny1percent.com or johnny1percent.ca is the website. Lots of great details. And there's a grid about halfway down the home page that really illustrates uh, the actual savings that Rick and all of your other clients have made over the years uh, a, a typical say a million dollar property uh, in Vancouver uh, the commission uh, for uh, most other brokers on the property would be close to $30,000 uh, what if you're dealing with 1% realty it's more like 
$11,000 and you get to keep just about 18, 19 grand for whatever whatever you want to do, John. And that's that's a remarkable savings and a $1 million property is pretty darn typical in Metro Vancouver these days. It is, and I want to be careful to let people know that there are no set commission rates and we're comparing the savings against a predominant rate of 7% on the first 100,000, two and a half on the balance. Correct. And that's out there and but Anyone can offer whatever service they want at whatever price they want. I really believe that at 1% realty, and especially uh, given the many sales I've had and my experience levels, that I offer probably the best value proposition on the market in terms of paying a very reasonable commission, but having a real seasoned professional behind you when it comes time to promote and negotiate and do all those things. So that's the Johnny 1% way. Uh, just going back to what Rick was uh, saying about his work with you recently selling that condo in Coquitlam and uh, saying that he's been moving properties uh, pretty much one a year for the last 12 years. So he's dealt with a lot of realtors, says you're the best he's dealt with so far. And I suppose, did you have that conversation with Rick when he took you on to sell the property about, well, okay, I know I'm going to pay less in commission, but I am I supposed to expect less because of that? I'm sure a lot of people who have that conversation over a cup of coffee at the kitchen table, that's probably one of the first two or three questions they ask you. Yes, pretty much everybody I talk to has that question. They, you know, maybe they've heard good things or maybe I've been referred from somebody they've worked with before. But when it comes down to commission, they just want to make sure, just making sure, do I have this right here? Mm -hmm, Because it mm -hmm. looks like, you know, the last guy I talked to quoted me this figure. Right. And you're quoting me this figure. And it's a little hard to wrap my head around. Saving close to 20000 bucks, and at the same time expecting the same level of service? How does that work? That's right. Or, or maybe some people might have heard that they don't, the other agents might not support the listing as well because the pay is less. We offer out less commissions. So right. these, are, these are a lot of the questions that I get. And, uh, you know, I just show people my record, I, maybe some testimonials. I show people how it works. Really, when you think about real estate... Uh, this is not the trucking industry where everything's down to the penny in terms of the mileage and, you know, it's ultra competitive. These are relatively large commissions on some of these properties sure. we're talking about. And if if the average agent, I'm not sure if this figure is accurate, but sometimes it's usually around five properties a year, might sell five properties a year. Well, that's one thing. But if you sell 60 or 70 properties a year, you can afford to do it in a way and give much, much better value. And I I do a lot of volume. I'm on my game and I'm, I, I work a lot, which is wonderful. And I really think I offer the best value proposition. So, I let people know, hey, look, I don't have to charge you $30,000. The other agents, if they want to show the property and bring an offer and they want to try to negotiate another commission, which does happen mm-hmm. about 50% of the time, at least you're in the driver's seat. What really You drives, can say no if you want. You can say no, you can negotiate. You're well, always going to save money, significant money. And the nice thing is, uh, as a seller, you know, a property, a buyer brings an offer on a property. They want that property if they can get the right terms. And the sure. commission is not usually the top thing on their mind. So... If, thing, if there is some negotiating to be done, this is something I do all the time. I present the information to my sellers and I say, hey, let's see if we can get a situation that achieves what you want and gets you a win. We're going to save you as much money as we can. And if we get the right terms, the right price, the right dates, that everything works together, and you save ten dollars or $20,000... I'm going to consider that a win. And if you do too, we're going to be able to go forward. Absolutely. And I should probably also mention, friends, that because he won't, he's the kind of a modest sort of chap. Uh, Mr. Carlson is once again uh, declared to be a member of the President's Club for 2018. Uh, we haven't haven't seen the, the scroll yet with the seal, but that's coming. And the, tab, the President's Club, by the way, is composed of individual realtors who are among the top 1% of all realtors in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. Congratulations 
congratulations, John. You Thank are you. a hardworking guy. Thank you. Uh, and, I love it. Uh, and Rick said he's a high-maintenance client. He likes lots and lots of information. I would imagine, given today's prices, most of us are high-maintenance clients and need a lot of information. Well, I don't know if it's high maintenance. When someone requires your services, it's kind of nice to be needed. Sure. And it's kind of nice to be in touch with them. So I never consider it high maintenance. But um, yeah, people, this is important. Hey, I want to sell a property worth half a million, a million, three, five, ten million dollars. Sure. I want to know how this process is going. I want to know what you're doing for me, John. I want to know what the feedback is. I want to know what other agents are saying, what buyers are saying. I want to know what the best way going forward is. I'm calling my clients now if we've had a listing that hasn't sold uh, through December maybe and saying, hey, let's meet. Let's make a plan going forward. Here's the new information. Here's this. Here's right. your new competition. So. Uh, you know, I think those days, there used to be that old saying that realtors would just put a sign in the yard and wait for the phone to ring. Right. And, you know, those days are long gone. And uh, you need an agent who's proactive and an agent who will bring you the information and not push. I mean, an agent should never want to sell more than a client, more mm-hmm. than a seller. But when you know that seller has some goals to be achieved and you have the information about what's going on in the market, you've got, you want to feed that to them. You want to give them all the information you can because... A client who is informed is empowered. They recognize a good offer when it comes or a bad offer. It's much easier. They're not kind of lost out there thinking, hmm, what is this? What is this? So again, from step one to completion, just because I'm at 1% realty, I'm Johnny 1%, doesn't mean I'm cutting corners. Far from it. Right from the get-go when we started talking about the listing to through the listing to when the property sells and the keys in the lawyer's office, everything, I handle absolutely everything. I'm I'm available the whole step of the way. Any new listings to tell us about uh, this weekend, John? You know, I do have one new listing. It is going to hit MLS probably today. Uh, This is in Steveston Village. This is a three-bedroom split-level house. The list price is $1.299. It's a little under 4,000-square-foot lot with a lane access, cute as a button, tons of style, uh, a lot well, of Steve's charm to such it. a nice area, too. Oh, everything there. The yeah. school is right around the corner. It's super quiet and convenient. Location, really, it's hard to beat. Uh, the address is 3751 Gary Street. So uh, give me a call on that one. You won't see it on MLS yet, probably, but it's literally hitting the market as we speak, and uh, there are going to be some photos and stuff. So go to johnny1percent.com in a day or so. We'll have a photo. We'll have a tour of the house, the whole thing. All right. johnny1percent.com or .ca is where to go for all the pictures and all of John's listings and, of course, the phone number. The all-important contact point, which is 604-612-0080. Again, 604-612-0080. And your phone's going to start ringing any second now, John. So I'll let you go. Call me. I'm ready. (laughs) And we'll catch up to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Sterling. Great to see you again. Thanks to John Carlson for another very informative visit. Next week, Sherry McMillan returns with more on family trusts. And we'll talk smoke alarms and fire safety with the folks from Kitty Canada. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, looks at the UBC SkyTrain project. Thanks, Sterling. Vancouver City Council has voted to support extending the future Broadway subway line all the way to UBC. The vote was 9-2, to two, with only COPE Councillor Gene Swanson and NPA Councillor Colleen Hardwick voting against it. Here's Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart. We have, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of folks a week uh, that, that are potentially going down this corridor already on, uh, on uh, very, very crowded uh, B-line buses, and so this is a benefit to the whole region. The vote came the week after TransLink presented a report to the TransLink Mayor's Council making the case that SkyTrain was the only technology that would be able to meet future ridership demands for the university corridor. 
Under the currently approved and funded Phase 2 of TransLink's 10-year vision, the Broadway subway would only extend to Arbutus Street. The SkyTrain option was being offered in contrast to light rail models, including a light rail between Science World and UBC, which TransLink said would be at capacity within 15 years of being built. Critics had argued that light rail options were more cost-effective than SkyTrain and voiced concerns that development along the future line would raise property values and displace affordable housing. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. Ford says it's scheduling massive overtime at a factory in suburban Detroit to meet its strong demand for its new Ranger midsize pickup truck. A stark contrast to the cuts to production of traditional cars that makers have been making lately. Ford is about to boost production of the Ranger, which went on sale this month and has already had expressions of interest from 300,000 online shoppers. Ford's president of North American Operations says they've sold about 1,200 of the trucks it brought back after an eight-year absence from the U.S. market. The demand is going to be so strong that starting in February, the Wayne Assembly Plant, where this product is made, will be going into massive overtime, says the boss. Fantastic news. Last year, Ford ceased production of the Focus Compact at the factory where it now makes the Ranger. Ford and GM are slashing productions of sedans and small cars as car makers struggle with the collapse of demand for the traditional family car that has left them with excess factory capacity to make three million of those unwanted models, as is the case with Oshawa. Abbotsford International's airport late January launch of its $5 million terminal expansion is helping airline executives breathe easier as they take steps to ramp up flights out of Metro Vancouver's eastern airport. The number of seats past security has doubled from 600 to, or to 600 from 300, and there are now two additional gates for a total of five. And because uh, the WestJet and Air Canada ultra-low-cost carriers are using Abbotsford, these improvements are necessary to maintain the volume they require and at the same time keep those airport landing fees at a reasonable number. That is our show for this week, produced by Ben Dooley with Andrew Ferreira at the controls. Email or tweet your thoughts or suggestions for our show, and we read them all, to sterling at cknw.com or at Van Consumer on Twitter. Next week, it's family trusts and household fire safety. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday. Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer, right here on 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.